Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 113. Very exciting. We finally made it. I always said if we make it to 113, uh, we can quit. I didn't say that, but that's okay. Um, but everybody, it is October 2nd by, uh, when this goes up, so that can only mean one thing. And I will welcome in my co-host, Josh, to say what that is. What is that one thing, Josh? Well, it's Halloween times, everybody. Halloween times. Of all the things that we have tried to make into a thing, mm-hmm. uh, lessoners instead of listeners, uh, and just t-shirts that don't sell, <laughs> and um, fantasinating, which admittedly, it's just a thing you happen to say, and then I turned it into a t-shirt. Um, the thing that caught on was you saying just being silly and saying halloween times and i don't know why it caught on i think it's just a thing that sounded good to me and a thing that Mm -hmm. we could brand um so yeah october it's halloween times which means officially halloween times every episode this month is going to be devoted to some kind of horror or macabre type uh type of film so if Uh, you don't like that too bad yeah you're gonna have to you know, we'll see you in November when it's Thanksgiving. Exactly. Thanksgiving times. You know, no, and then we only talk about movies that have to do with Thanksgiving. Not everything can be times. It's something else. Hmm. Thanksgiving land. Christmas time. That's Christmas time. Hmm. No, I'm so. saying for Thanksgiving, instead of saying Thanksgiving <laughs> at all, we say Christmas time <laughs> and then Christmas will be like, you know, uh, Yule. We'll just say that. No. It could be Thanksgiving Tide. Oh, absolutely. Tide. Oh, and yeah, yeah. And then like as a promotion, we could like give out samples of Tide on the street corner with a more than one lesson postcard and say it's it's Thanksgiving Tide. Clean up your life. Exactly. With God. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, that does make God yeah. sound like a product that you can uh, pick up Clean at up the your store. Life with God. That's New. a shirt. That's I. Be, I feel like that's probably a shirt yeah, in the mid nineties. Sure yeah. Um, back when they and uh, do you remember this at all? Like Christian companies, uh, t-shirt companies were sort of appropriating other logos unlike, and stuff. Not unlike Christian film, but like uh, it was appropriating well-known logos of yeah. things and turning it into their own. Type yeah. Of thing. I had one of those ones that said Army, but it was something about God's Army. I don't remember what oh, it said. Right. I don't have any of those. They all seemed silly to me. And then of yeah. course. In the in the age of no fear, there was the fear not shirts. Yeah, I remember those. And I remember a friend of mine had that, and I just thought, Ugh, it's, it's just such a ripoff, <laughs> and people are going to see through it. They know that fear not is not no fear. Are you? I don't know. I just uh, it really it really. But ever since I was a kid, it just I I really was sensitive to that kind of thing, um, and uh, probably more of a jerk about it than I should have been. Um, but yeah, Halloween times, very exciting. And I'll tell you go I'll, I'll tell you right now, we don't have the whole schedule laid out, but I will say that next week we will be talking about the film, the I believe Henry Selleck film Coraline with the companion film Spirited Away directed by Hayao Miyazaki, which I actually just rewatched in the uh, in the theater a couple weeks ago. So, uh so be ready for that. Seek those movies out, watch them and enjoy them because they're both very good. Uh, I wanted to reiterate that the movie we talked about last week, Believe Me, is available on iTunes and Blu-ray and that sort of thing. Uh, It is not very often that I say, hey, everybody, let's go support a Christian film. Uh, But this is one that I feel like we should. Uh, I want to see more of these. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see more Christian film. I want to see more good Christian film. So seek that out. Give them some money and enjoy. 
Um, and then lastly, there's something I've been doing over at Battleship Pretension. I've only been doing it for a couple weeks now. I don't know if, uh, if it'll be a weekly thing. I'd like it to be, but it, you know, I'll see if I can work it into my schedule. Uh, in which I've been putting together uh, videos, little four or five minute videos, talking about some of my favorite movie characters of all time. The first week, I talked about Don Logan from Sexy Beast, and the second week I talked about Libby Holden from Primary Colors. So head on over to Battleship Pretension, click on video, and uh, take a look at those. What I will say is that uh, this is, I think, on both of them, but mo- but certainly on the Sexy Beast Don Logan episode. Uh, if you are sensitive to harsh language, it is a British gangster film, so just be ready for that, because you're going to hear some rough, rough language. Uh, I, I was trying to, I was trying to pick clips that didn't have it. And it turns out they don't exist, Mm. uh, in that film. So, um, so yeah, you can head over to battleship pretension and click on that. So I think, uh, I think that's about it. I would also, in case anybody, uh, happened to look into us this week, I wanted to welcome in, any new listeners that we've gotten from uh, Alpha Omega Con and, uh, and all of that. But what I will say is, uh, moving into the episode proper, I, w- <laughs> I will say I was very excited uh, to be like, all right, we got you know a lot of people interested in the show. It's going to be great. Let's welcome them in with a discussion of a 1922 silent horror film. <laughs> and that's when I realized, right, that's why we don't have a lot of listeners is I talk about, we talk about whatever is interesting to us. Uh, and invariably it's interesting to other people as well. Just, it's not going to be that many. Mm. Um, and so, well, uh, Hey, there's not all the movies we're talking about today. That's true. I did broaden it out a little bit. Mm. So we are talking about a 1979 German German film film and a, uh, an obscure, it's not that obscure, but a lesser known film from the year 2000 uh, that references these two movies. So if you didn't see them, you probably didn't see it. Uh, so what we are talking about is we are talking about Nosferatu, Symphony of Horror, <laughs> or The Vampire, or we are talking about Shadow of the Vampire. So we're talking about all three of these movies. Nosferatu... Uh, was first directed in 1922 by F.W. Murnau, uh, based on the book Dracula by Bram Stoker. But not, uh, not officially, not officially, but <laughs> in every other way, uh, they they started adapting the book into a movie. Realized that they didn't have the rights, that the family was giving them trouble, so they wound up just changing the names. But the basic story is the same. And I think ultimately they did lose some kind of court case about it being too close, mm. and uh, the production company that that made the film went out of business. <laughs> Stands to reason I could see that. Uh, but you know what? They went out with a with a bang. Uh, so the second film that we'll be talking about is Nosferatu, The Vampire, written and directed by Werner Herzog in 1979, which is a direct remake of this, but he actually apparently did get the rights to Dracula this time, and he actually does call the characters uh, you know, Dracula Harker and Harker and, and yeah. Ben Helsing and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we are going to talk about Shadow of the Vampire, which came out in the year 2000 and directed by E. Elias, I don't know how you would say that, M.E. R H I G E Marigi Marigi. That's, That's probably, probably not, not correct. Yes. Mer- uh, Marig 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 Marig. Let's stick with that. I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, but anyway, shadow of the vampire is a movie inspired by a, an old time film legend that the actor Max Shrek, who played count Orlock in the original Nosferatu, uh, he was so convincing as a vampire because he was indeed a vampire. <laughs> and so this uh, accepts that as its premise and just moves on forward. And uh, we get we, we are treated to the idea of F.W. Murnau having contracted an actual uh, vampire to appear in his film. So, uh, so those are what we are talking about. And... There might be a swirling nature to this. I don't necessarily anticipate going in order, talking about the first film, then the second, then the third. Yeah. Uh, I'm more interested maybe in just talking about all of them and the things that they explore. So, uh, you know, at this point, many of you are familiar with the story of Dracula. Uh, there's this 
you know, this count in Transylvania who uh, winds up for, I don't remember exactly why, uh, quite possibly no reason except uh, to seek out food. Uh, He arranges for um, uh, like a real estate deal so that he can move to, I, I think in Dracula, I think it's just London, right? Um, it's a British, it's a Brit in the, in, uh, Nosferatu, I think it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a town called Bremen, I think. Bremen. Or, that's the one. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember now, I guess, I, I think, I think it is London in the, in the yeah. original book. Yeah. It's it, cause it's supposed to be like a, the count is out in the middle of nowhere in a castle. Nobody comes to visit. So he, and he needs people to live. And so, uh, he needs to go to a major metropolitan area. And mm-hmm. so, and I don't know if if Bremen is, is that, uh, I only know about Bremen because of that story, the music musicians of Bremen, or mm. more specifically, I know the Muppet musicians of Bremen, <laughs> which was a really good television special that I watched over and over again when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, so that's the basic story. We don't really need to go into it that much. I think what we can talk about is why have these films, uh, endured? Um, mm. you know, there's a lot of silent films that, are forgotten. And when it comes right down to it, uh, I'd say the vast majority of people don't know or care about silent films at all. The only thing they might know is the little tramp. Yeah. You know? Um, and so, but even amongst film students, if you were to ask them like, okay, I want to get into film. What are some silent movies I have to see? Okay. Trip to the moon. Mm -hmm. They would probably say just for the sake of, uh, you know, film appreciation they'd probably say birth of a nation birth of a nation yeah it's a cabinet then they would start getting into german expressionism and russian film mm-hmm. and then silent and then as far as american they'd get into comedy mm-hmm. but uh and so when they got into you know german expressionism it would all be horror and that sort of thing so you'd get cabinet of dr caligari you would get nosferatu you would get it's science fiction but you get metropolis mm-hmm. that sort of thing so uh, but Nosferatu has endured uh, in a way that I that those other films haven't. Like to the extent that amongst horror fans, they are likely more aware of Nosferatu than you know the Golem or uh, Faust or you know Dr. Caligari. They are familiar with Nosferatu, and I think the reason is the visual quality of it, yeah. specifically maybe the visual design of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, and it's the first real vampire movie, too, I think. I guess so. There was, yeah. And I guess it capitalized on a on a story that people were familiar with as a mm-hmm. function of the book. Right. Um, I remember there was, there was a silent film, maybe even a series, I don't remember, um, called, I think, just The Vampires uh, mm-hmm. that came out, I think, before this, yeah. uh, which I think you can find on Criterion. But... Um, so there was that, but even then, like, and, and I think it was popular at the time, but this was, even though they said Count Orlock, everybody watching it would probably Everybody know. knew what it was, yeah, because the plot is nearly exactly the yeah. same. The, the kinds of things that they change are so minimal Yeah. that, uh, although one of the things that I didn't know about it that I, that I learned was that um, the idea of vampires being destroyed by sunlight comes from... Murnau's Nosferatu. Oh, interesting. It didn't exist anywhere before that. And that was one of the things that he added to say, like, oh, no, they can die different ways. And, and now that's part of the lore. That's part of the, the lore now. I, I was only, That's one of the reasons I read the original Dracula book, because I, I know there's so much mm-hmm. lore about vampires. I, I was curious to how much of it actually comes from the first vampire book, really, yeah. or the first work of art uh, surrounding the idea. And... Not a whole lot of it. I mean, the and in fact, what's interesting is that um, not unlike uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, you go back and read those books. And I read Frankenstein. I did not finish Dracula because it's written in kind of an odd style. Yeah, it's mostly it's, it's like letters and it's stuff. Called it epis. There's a, there's a word for it. It's like epis something. It's a, it's the same root word of epistles. No, oh. uh, epistolic. I don't think it is because okay. that one's usually referred to or is used to refer to books in the Bible that are. Yeah. There's another word for it. I don't know. Um, well, the uh, what's interesting is that so these 
these books exist and they're very popular. And then what would often happen is somebody would try to dramatize them on stage and really paraphrase them. Mm-hmm. Um, tremendously so. And that happened with Dracula. I mean, if you look at the original story of Dracula, like in the book, and you look at Nosferatu, there's there are actually not a lot of similarities. But if you looked at plays of Dracula at the time, and then you look at Nosferatu, that's when you see, oh, okay, this was inspired by the play. Just as... Uh, James Whale's Frankenstein was inspired more by uh, dramatic interpretations of Frankenstein than yeah. the actual book. Yeah, when then you read the book Frankenstein, you're like, oh, wait a minute, the monster can talk? Yeah, he can talk and is very <laughs> articulate. It's yeah. fascinating. It's a whole um, whole deal. But yeah, so uh, so I think one of the reasons, uh, certainly there are cultural reasons for why it was Nosferatu was very popular um, and why it has endured um, I myself, when I go back and watch it, I'm not actually that big of a fan of it. It's all very, it se- it all seems very abrupt. Uh, circumstances will change very quickly. Um, and there's not a nat there, there, for me, there's not like a natural story flow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if some of that comes down to it being silent. That doesn't necessarily, that hasn't necessarily bothered me in the past with some things like, um, like Keaton and, uh, Potemkin and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, but with this, it just seems like it jumps pretty regularly, and I have a hard time getting a handle on things. But I still own it, I still appreciate it, and I still, I would venture to say, really like it, maybe even love it, because yeah. of its strong use of visuals, mm-hmm. both in its setting and its locations, but also in the design of, uh, well, really all the characters. Um, Orlock is obviously the most striking, but if you look at Nock, who's based on Renfield, and even if you look at Harker, they're dressed in a very um, ornate style that uh, that don't that does not exist really. It 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 as far as the the costume design and the makeup, it feels like you're watching a Grimm's fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you look at Nock, the way they make him up and the way they do his hair, and he is supposed to be crazy, of course, but um, <clears throat> and the way they have him act. Uh, it's all very heightened and very mm-hmm. strange. And even though it is sort of a period piece, um, you feel like, well, they probably d- it probably didn't look like that. And that's the nature of German expressionism. Yeah, that was one of the one of the big things that they did in, in German expressionism was to create an uh, an outer uh, and an exterior look to things that was supposed to reflect an inner feeling. So th- yeah. a lot of it was supposed to express emotions. Um, so that, that's one, one thing that people often complain about in watching this film and a lot of expressionism films is that it seems overacted. And, uh, while that, you know, that may not be your taste, that's, it's not bad acting in this case. It's more of an intentional thing because these characters are representing, they're supposed to express and represent bigger, uh, uh, emotions and feelings on, you know, kind of a grander scale. Yeah. It's, uh, the world of German expressionism, expressionism is not really a world of subtlety and nuance. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Well, here's the thing. There can be, but it's often, I don't know. Sometimes I think the, the visual quality is almost a misdirect. Like everything is big. And so uh, you just look at it and you think, wow, this is all very, very big. And so whenever anything genuinely small happens, that's when you sit, you wind up paying closer attention to that because it's one of the few things that is uh, that is smaller mm-hmm. and it could be just like a little flicker uh on somebody's face or something like that mm-hmm. um but yeah and so what i will say is you know when we think of dracula as a culture we think of bella lugosi which i think is speaks to the enduring nature of that film mm-hmm. um that there are people who probably have never seen that film and they still think of Slick back hair, the cape, mm-hmm. you know. Children of the night. Yeah. And then and people say, like, I want to suck your blood, which yeah. he doesn't say. Um, <laughs> nobody, it'd be, he, he's trying to hide that he's a vampire. And if he <laughs> merely says, I want to suck your blood, it's like, like I said, expressionism isn't necessarily the most subtle thing. <laughs> but lines like that don't happen. Um, but, yeah, and so it just is this, you know, when they think of Frankenstein, A, they think of the monster, mm-hmm. which was never how it was supposed to be. Frankenstein was always supposed to – you're supposed to associate that with the doctor. Um, but then uh, you came to associate with the bolts in the neck and the uh, flat head and yeah. that kind of thing. So, Herman Munster. Exactly. 
Did you watch the Munsters growing up? Of course. Of course you did. I'm trying to think if I did. A little bit. I watched it enough to know that that theme music is rocking. And I don't say that ironically. I mm-hmm. love that theme song. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, there, but with Dracula, we, we tend to think, and, and even through the years, like in the seventies, anytime it's been remade, there's a slick and suave quality to him. Mm-hmm. And even in Bram Stoker's Dracula directed by Fra- uh, Francis Ford Coppola, when they do also portray him as an old man, they will also show him as a young and vital and cool emo looking, um, Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, there is always a quality of of allure to him, mm-hmm. um, and that and that is that makes a great deal of sense because you know a vampire is supposed to be able to seduce you and bring you close to them, right. almost of your own free will. Like yeah. a vampire can't come in unless you invite them in, and if they look creepy, you're not going to invite them <laughs> in. But if they look attractive, you will. Mm-hmm. So I th- what I think is interesting about Nosferatu is that Count Orlock does not look inviting he looks Mm-mm. horrifying quite yeah. literally he has he's thin as a rail and he is often direct his performance is also it, it tends to be his hands or his arms like right by his sides he doesn't have yeah. pockets he doesn't fold his arms he doesn't he gestures with his arms sometimes but when he's just walking around his arms are just directly by their side by his side and it just makes the character look all the more vertical and all the more gaunt. Mm-hmm. But then they also did a, put a bald cap on him. Uh, they put pointy ears on him. And then these little, you know, when you think of vampires, you think of fangs. When you think of the, the normal, what we're used to is the, is the fangs where the canines are, but his yeah. fangs are those middle front teeth, yeah. which, which gives him a, like a mouse, uh, kind of a rodent quality. Yes. One could say a rat, mm-hmm. uh, just, Rather than like a predator, he seems almost just like a pest. Mm-hmm. This gross thing that, while strong and immortal, just has a f- just a frail and um, I'm a, almost a parasitic quality to him mm. that they certainly played up in the Werner Herzog film. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, and so the character is just so. He's frightening, but he's also pathetic. Mm-hmm. He seems pathetic to me, and um, and they have they carried that design into other things, including, by the way, when they did a, a TV miniseries of Salem's Lot, and there's a uh, vampire in that. Uh, they clearly based him on Orlock. Uh, hmm. They he's bald. He's got now in this case all of his teeth are sharp, but he's got the pointy ears. He's bald. He's in these big black robes. He is clearly meant to be Count Orlock, although I think his skin is blue, more bluish than like white or anything like that. So, uh, so I think people recognize, oh man, this is a very frightening looking image. And so, uh, so I'll bring us into the 1979 film directed by Werner Herzog, um, which I think I prefer to the silent film, maybe just because it has a more modern way of telling the story mm-hmm. and Herzog unsurprisingly was much more interested in exploring the nature of the character mm-hmm. of Orlock in this case called Count Dracula, but maybe we'll stick with Orlock just to avoid any, uh, confusion. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, played by noted insane person, Klaus Kinski, <laughs> who is himself a very frightening looking man. Yeah. Um, I remember years ago I did a, uh, sort of a backwards fantasy casting of no country for old men. Mm. And I cast Klaus Kinski as Anton Chigurh. And people said, congratulations, you managed to make the character more frightening, which I didn't think was possible. Yeah. He's an actor a lot of people aren't familiar with because he didn't do um, do many films in English. He did some, I think. He but did some. He showed up in, like, Dr. Zhivago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I can't think of many others, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he he's one of those actors that has this this forceful energy behind him and he's got this such a unique look he's got the crazy eyes yeah um i always i feel like i always compare him to toshiro mifune because they both kind of have that same like big big eyes like very expressive eyes thing and they're both these 
forces to be reckoned with in their in their performances. And they both are very much associated with a particular produ- uh, yeah, director. That's true. Yeah, just saw like this person gets me, and they get mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So, um, so the, some other. If you're a Herzog fan, you you know that some of the other films that he was in were uh, that uh, Klaus Kinski was in with Herzog were Aguirre, The Wrath of God, and uh, Cobra Verde. He's in right. I don't know. And uh, is it Wojcik? Wojcik. Wojcik. Yeah. Yeah. Not Stroycik. That's, That's a, a different, different one. Yeah. And then, of course, Fitzcarraldo. Yes. Which he did in German and English. So there's an English film for you. Yeah. There you go apparently um yeah and so uh so in this the character of orlock is a much more i'm not sure if i'd say sympathetic character but you understand him a lot more he's much there's a sadness to him because as crazy as klaus kinski's eyes can be (laughs) and they can be um you know you make a slight adjustment and they're tragic. Mm-hmm. There's a tragic quality to to him in almost every character that I've seen him play. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just feel terrible for him, and you get the impression that he's this sort of tortured soul. Mm-hmm. And so, for a number of reasons, it's not at all surprising that he would play Orlock in the Werner Herzog uh, film, uh, partially because who else was he going to get? Obviously, he wants to get somebody that he can rely on for a character like this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, more than anything, that's that's what... That's what gets me about it, is that the character, uh, you get the impression he hates himself, he hates what he is, he hates the life that he lives, uh, but he is still, he still needs to do what he needs to do to survive. Um, and so I've got a couple quotes here um, in which, in the, this is from the 79 version, which he says, death is not the worst. There are things more horrible than death. Can you imagine enduring centuries experiencing each day the same futilities? Uh, and then he says, the absence of love is the most abject pain. Like, and so uh, one thing that often uh, that shows up in every Dracula story is that he pursues uh, Lucy Harker. But there's also a Mina, right? I thought sometimes it was, or is Mina her friend? I don't remember. There's a Mina and a Lucy, and for some reason I thought that in some cases uh, it was switched around. But yeah. I might be wrong. I think I think there actually might be some versions of the of the original one that call her uh, of the the 1922 version that call her Nina. They go back and forth. Oh, some, okay. some versions call her Ellen, some call her Nina, and I think that depends on where the uh, the um, inner titles came from yeah because it was uh that's another interesting history thing about the silent one is that because they lost that court case uh, copies of it were destroyed that was part of it it was supposed Mm -hmm. to be destroyed and um so the only way it was able to be put back together is that pieces of it were found from from uh uh, you know reels that were kind of all over the world which might explain why watching it now there's to me the viewer there's less of an editorial flow that would, yeah. that's definitely there in other Murnau films. Yeah. It could easily be, that could easily be the case that just what they have may be cut, cut down versions because that was one of the things with them when they uh, were taking those versions around the country, those cuts of them, they, you know, a lot of times they would just cut stuff out because they were like, well, this one's got to be shorter. Yeah. And they would just Ugh. cut something out. Sounds horrible. <laughs> Um, for, and that's the thing. In the same way, uh, I saw a number of versions of Metropolis mm-hmm, yeah. with a lot of stuff missing, and I always thought, like, yeah, it's visually fine, but like, it's you know, there would be these cards saying, "Hey, here, imagine this is what's happening. We know mm-hmm. this is what's happening, but we don't have the footage. So imagine this is what's happening." And I thought, well, okay, I can imagine it, but I'm watching a movie because I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, and also I'm watching a silent film yeah. because it's a, I want to see the visual and also with German expressionism it's primarily a visual uh yeah, event. Yeah. Uh but then when they found all that footage in what is it Brazil or something yeah, like somewhere that? somewhere in South America. South America. Uh and they didn't find all of it but they found enough of it cuz you know I saw a character where I saw a, a version early on where an entire character never shows was, up, never shows up yeah. but he's still there and so I have to imagine what he looks like and he plays these this huge role mm-hmm. in the film and then they found a lot of that footage with yeah. that character which is so, great yeah so the second time I saw it I was thrilled um but yeah and so uh oh man I forgot where that uh, where that <laughs> came from um 
We were talking, oh, the, the character. You oh, were right. He pursues oh. Lucy. Yes, yes. And so, uh, and it does seem strange. I mean, he'll, he turns people into his slaves. He'll use other people and just drink their blood and all that. Um, you're not really sure what it is about Lucy specifically that it's like he does not want to kill her. He doesn't want to make her his slave. He wants to make her into a vampire and live with her forever. There's a real yearning for companionship there. Mm-hmm. Now, depending on the adaptation, and I've seen several at this point, depending on the adaptation, um, there's a sort of a sadistic quality to that um, and this feeling of entitlement and ownership like i deserve this woman mm. but then in other cases it does really it does really seem to be just a a, a longing mm-hmm. for companionship and i think in yeah. in uh herzog's nosferatu i think it's very much that yeah um yeah. and but of course she doesn't want to be a vampire and she is married <laughs> yeah. uh so there's a lot of stuff going on there and so uh, so obviously we're rooting against what he wants, but we also are just very aware that he is, he is a product of his nature. This mm-hmm. is what he has to do to survive. And, you know, he's just condemned to be this way. And so we're rooting against him, but we also feel a great deal of compassion for him, uh, which makes uh, Herzog's film very complex, I think. Um. So then, lastly, I'll talk about... I said I didn't want to talk about these in order, but now I am. Um, lastly, Shadow the Vampire. Now, this is a little different, um, because <laughs> it is a comedy in many ways. Um, and it features John Malkovich as F.W. Murnau, and it has Willem Dafoe as Max Schreck, the actor that played um, Count Orlock in the original Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. But, of course, as I mentioned earlier, this film posits that... Max Shrek himself was a vampire. They did not apply any makeup. He just naturally had that rat-like, horrible quality to him. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I will say the film was nominated for two Academy Awards, Best Supporting Actor for Willem Dafoe and Best Makeup. Uh, He lost Supporting Actor to Benicio del Toro for Traffic, and I cannot think of two two more different performances. (laughs) Um, And then it it lost Makeup to uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which I understand there's a lot of makeup in that. But I don't know. I really like the makeup in this because yeah. it seems surprisingly feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of humor in it, there, if, especially if you're a fan of film. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a very specific type of, of humor ab- about Murnau and about silent film and that sort of thing. But then also there are larger things like when uh, Shrek says uh, he wants to uh, kill the writer. Mm-hmm. And the director, who's furious, by the way, <laughs> about the idea of Murnau going after his crew, he pauses for a moment. He says, I don't expect you to understand this. And I'm loath to admit it myself, <laughs> but we need the writer. <laughs> and just, and of course, if you're, I could, I can imagine the screenwriter, uh, Stephen Katz, I can imagine him writing that and being like, yep, that's about <laughs> right. So, um, so there's a lot, of, there is actually a lot of humor in there, but there's a fair amount of tragedy as well. Yeah. Um, Max Shrek is also a pathetic character mm-hmm. and they really explore him. And because they're, they don't necessarily have to be locked to the Dracula thing. He can just, he's just a random vampire. Yeah. Um, and they can really explore his character a little bit. Um, I think I wrote down some stuff here. Um, it's a really wonderful little monologue when the producer and the, uh, writer are talking to, max and they are asking him some vampire questions and uh, because they're, they're under the impression that he's he's a method actor right he's yes. come from the stanislavski skill school yeah uh, they've been told that he wants to be referred to as count orlock yeah. he doesn't want to be uh like he they never put makeup on him that yeah. they only film with him at night all these things because that he has to become that character yeah, and at some point when he does attack a member of the crew, uh, one of the other actors, played by Eddie Izzard, says, he's a Stanislavski lunatic, <laughs> uh, which I think is, is very funny. And so, um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So they, when they ask him, like, vampire questions, they're asking him, like, hey, you're an actor playing this part. I'm going to ask you these. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they ask, like, when did you first become a vampire? And he says, I don't remember. And there's a lot of things he doesn't remember. Um, and it's this horrible idea that though he is immortal he still gets old Mm -hmm. and he still ages and and he still is 
less able to do things. Mm-hmm. He's still very strong and he's still, you know, he's still immortal, but you know, his memory fades and all that. And it's very, it's a very sad type of life. And so there's this, uh, he mentions that he was given the book Dracula to read. And so he read it and, uh, they said, you know, what did you think? And he said, it made me sad. And they said, why? And he said, because Dracula doesn't have any servants. And they <laughs> to, said, to which I think the, the producer says, I don't think you got the point of the book. <laughs> yeah. But then he goes into this, I think a really wonderful little monologue that is both funny and very sad. In which he says, Dracula hasn't had servants in 400 years, and then, then a man comes to his ancestral home, and he must convince him that he is like the man. He has to feed him when he himself hasn't eaten food in centuries. Can he even remember how to buy bread, how to select cheese and wine? And then he remembers the rest of it. How to prepare a meal, how to make a bed. He remembers his first glory, his armies, his retainers, and what he is reduced to. The loneliest part of the book comes when the man accidentally sees Dracula setting his table. And that idea of, you know, in the same way that I like when um, the invisible man talks about how, hey, you got to make sure you clean under your fingernails, you know, because otherwise, if you're trying to be, you know, invisible, someone will still see these weird little strips of dirt coming towards them. And the idea that you need to wear a sleep mask because you can sleep through, you can see through your eyelids. Mm-hmm. I like anything that explores the actual the human experience of yeah. being one of these monsters. Yeah. yeah. And the idea of if you're alone for 400 years and you've had to exist completely in a different way than most people, you haven't had to eat food. You don't have to drink wine. And it gets to the point that you don't even remember, right. What constitutes good wine? I don't remember. I've been eating people for a long time. <laughs> And so, uh, so there's a humor in that, but then, um, but then as you try, but then as the character, you know, as he's trying to remember, uh, what it once was like to be this thing, he remembers what he used to be and now what he is, this old dried out husk that is reliant on other people for survival, but can't, uh, can't ever have a relationship with those people Mm -hmm. and so um so yeah i I, the film is not perfect i'll say that there's Mm -hmm. a you know sometimes the tonal shifts are a little weird and uh i will say i don't like to necessarily call out certain actors carrie elwes's german accent often sounds indian uh, (laughs) which is weird um i like john malkovich uh yeah i think john malkovich and and will and defoe are giving great performances yeah Uh, udo kier is uh He's one of those actors that for me always just kind of seems like maybe he just really is this person. He's just there and seems a little like he's not totally with it. <laughs> it is worth noting that he, uh, you know, he played Dracula in the 70s. Yeah. Maybe because he's an actual vampire. <laughs> Could um, be. So he, he has a weird quality to him that I think works in the movie. I think I've seen him in some things where I'm like, he does not belong in this movie. Yeah. But th- this one speaks of to Of course his, he does. Uh, yeah. It, it, his his kind of I think the best word is limitations. Uh, I think work to his advantage in this movie. Um, yeah, and uh, let's see. So who else is there? There's like is it Catherine McCormick as uh, yeah, who's Greta act- Schroeder? She's an actress I don't I don't know outside of this film. I, I might might have seen her in something and forgotten. I don't know. I think I've seen her in some things here and there, but I can't even remember what they are. Mm-hmm. Eddie Izzard as Gustav, the lead actor. Yeah, um, that's is a often casting funny. choice. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you know, he tends to overplay things. And so in a scene where he has to like wake up and he like stretches and it's like, Oh, and every it's, he's playing the essence of waking up. Yeah. And then like the producer just looks at Murnau and goes, and eh, he's a stage actor. <laughs> um, so that's another little moment of, uh, yeah. you know, if you appreciate film and theater and all that, you, you can enjoy that. But, um, but yeah, uh, but it's, it, at times it's a little all over the place. Um, I, I, I don't feel like I like the way that it's directed. I'll say hmm. I, I like a lot of the, the visuals, the, uh, yeah. some of the choices I, I think, I think I like, like, uh, when he, when we go into seeing them filming yeah. the movie, the Iris comes in and it switches into, uh, to black and white from color yeah, and then kind of a grainier of, black and white too. Right. Although he includes bits from the original, from the actual film, yeah. which are, 
almost distractingly distinct from the actual yeah. stuff because it's an old broken, you know, old scratched film stock versus this much newer, cleaner looking. And it looks grainier than the rest of the film does, but yeah. uh, not not that much different. Um, yeah, there are. I do. I appreciate certain aspects of the visual sense. I think the there's a weird thing to latch on to. Um, the opening title sequence, I love. That was interesting. It's strangely uh, hypnotic. Yeah. Uh, I put it on the, uh, I found it on YouTube and put it on the Facebook page if anybody wants to look at it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and just the, I don't know, just uh, like you said, just the sets that they use and the way that it's lit and mm-hmm. all that. Like the director is not talentless. No, no, not at all. Um, I just, I, I think I don't love the way that he moves the story along. Maybe some of it's editing too. I may, I may not Maybe. love the editing either. The pacing is a little strange some of it seems like it happens too quickly or there are moments that that are incorporated i think to tell us a piece of the story but they're either not enough of that piece of the story or uh or they should be be left out entirely um i don't know if you remember there's a there's a very short moment right after you see the first scene of them filming Mm -hmm. on on a studio stage and then Murnau goes off and you you're understanding that he's going somewhere and they're like, Oh, we don't know where he's going now. And he, he shows up in this place that seems to be some kind of den of sin yeah. type place, but it's so brief and you hardly even see him in that context. I think you see that he's there, but hardly, and then it moves on and we never see anything about that again. And I think it wants us to, t- to tell us that he's involved in this kind of underground world of, of opulence. Yeah. Which, which is, I think, is interesting as part of his character because he's a character who will demand to get what he wants. Yeah. Circumstances, regardless. Um, but I feel like that's so small a piece of of that that uh, I feel like it needs to be developed more or not or at left all. out. Yeah. Because that's the thing. As it is right now, all it did for me when I first saw it was serve to be like, wait, I thought you were committed to making your movie. I thought that's what I thought that was the beginning and the end. And you're now making your film. Why are you doing this? Yeah. You know, and uh, then later on when they find him in some kind of like laudanum stupor, that's kind of the same thing. Like is, is I think, I think the movie never develops how that life is a part of his character. It, it, it makes sense with him being the, the type of person who just wants what he wants and maybe wants more and more and more. But the practical realities of how that affects him as a person seem to clash with some of his other desires. Like you said, his desire to have the film first. Yeah. And then another thing in that scene is that that's where he reveals to the crew, the vampire thing, almost, almost as if it's an unimportant bit of information. And then we kind of move on. Yeah. That moment doesn't land the way that it should. There are humorous moments. I like, I haven't seen the film in years, but I do have a very specific memory when he is, doped up on laudanum, laudanum and he's telling them that he's a real telling his producer that he's a real vampire and they're saying like what did you promise him and he said everlasting life and greta <laughs> like i <laughs> yeah. remember just that little moment made me laugh and so um yeah and maybe and that's the thing it's just and may, so maybe that's a writing issue maybe it's a directing or an editing but yeah the it, at times it i don't know i guess i guess you could say it's a little too ambitious at times which is not which is a a, a thing i would prefer to not. Yeah. It's not the worst problem to have. Um, but yeah, but it's still in many ways, it is still a very striking film and the scenes between him and, uh, Shrek are, I think those are the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so it's, it's something that I think you, the listener would enjoy watching. I would suggest going and watching the original Nosferatu first. You'll definitely get more out of it. If you've watched the original, if you haven't, then it just kind of doesn't have any context. Here's a question that I don't know if you know the answer to, but, I read that the sets used for the original 1920 movie, 1922 movie are still there. Like a lot of the, the exterior locations and things. I have read that. Yes. Do you know if they used any of those actual locations for shadow of the vampire? I don't know that it wouldn't surprise me. It well, seems I'll like you would like if I'll I'm that this. guy, I'd say, Oh, we're going to those places. I, I could see them doing that. And I could see there being a lot of regulation changes between 1922 and 2000. And I could see the German government being like, these places are crumbling. Not only are they dangerous for you, but you're dangerous for them. You can't go there. I could see that being the case. Although if they're not in Germany, some of those other places, (laughs) some places in, uh, 
in Europe and in the rest of the world don't take the kind of preservation or safety yeah. things the same way that we do, which is why people can climb on these you know old castles without handrails in some countries yeah. and that seem extremely dangerous so it, it could be one of those it, they could be in one of those places in romania or somewhere like that where there's no where they're not as strict about those kind of things i, I don't know so. i don't yeah, even know where they actually are it's something to look into as i was uh as i was preparing the notes for this i did realize like i think i would like to own shadow the vampire but it is not yet on blu-ray and i think i would like to get it on blu-ray mm. when the time comes yeah um but yeah uh so what I will say is um, there are a lot of versions of the original Nosferatu out there. All right, I, will <laughs> I know where you're going. You, yeah, okay. What I'll <laughs> say is if you want to watch the, the original, uh, seek out the version released by Kino. Uh, they do a great job mm-hmm. uh, as far as transfer. They do a really good job with special features. And when it comes to silent films, they do a great job with music, which then leads me into this other thing. <laughs> uh, so I saw it in film school. Did I see it before then? I might have. Um, but I watched it in film school, and then uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy this. And I happened to be at a Walgreens, and I saw that they were selling a DVD version of Nosferatu. I was like, are you are you kidding me? <laughs> That's very strange. Um, and so, uh, and it was like four bucks, so I thought, sure, why not? I'll, I'll buy that. So I bought it, and it said, with a score by typo negative. <laughs> And I know the I know the band Typo Negative. I have an older brother uh, who is into that kind of thing, so I was fairly aware of their music. And I thought, how interesting, and yet not a, not entirely surprising that the mm-hmm. band Typo Negative is aware of this <clears throat> is aware of this film and did a score specifically for it. That doesn't surprise me um, <laughs> when you hear about like Rob Zombie and like just these various other types of uh, similar types of musical artists that are inspired by like early, early horror, horror films stuff, and yeah. stuff. Um, so I watched it (laughs) and they didn't, they didn't compose a score specifically for it. All the producers did because that's the other thing, not unlike night of the living dead. I don't know if anybody has any particular rights. Yeah. That's now just public domain. So now everybody can, everybody and anybody can release it. So this company somehow got the rights to some songs by typo negative or maybe not who knows um and just slapped them on top of nosferatu and it's ridiculous because they're not timed out at all no not at all like a song will fade out in the midst of a climactic scene and then here comes another one it it doesn't go at all with the movie it's so distracting did we watch the whole thing i believe we did yes it was one of those deals where by the end we're like you're just covering your face like this is really painful yeah did we just mute it uh, i think we might have yes i know i did see one uh one silent film that's a very early german version of faust uh, that's that's pretty much a filmed stage production of it mm-hmm. it's it's take all takes place kind of in the same room with this guy just facing out towards the camera the whole time but uh because it's one of those old old films that again is is public domain uh whoever whoever has the rights to it just added whatever music they could find and it's this <laughs> it was just this kind of descending chords of organ mm-hmm. music it's just the same thing over and over again and it's a very short movie you know it's like 63 minutes or something yeah but after an hour of that it was it was bad so i think i muted it and then after a certain point I think turned the TV so that was it was going was playing at twice the speed. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Because I didn't want to hear the music anyway, and I could read the inner titles that way because they were up there for longer than I needed them. Yeah. So the guy was moving a little fast, but I feel like I got the general idea. <laughs> so for that one, I don't feel bad about about watching it that way. But the mu- that's all to say the music was so monotonous it was very distracting it's very strange to think that like you know silent films are primarily visual and so you almost feel like well the music doesn't really matter that much as long as it's not too distracting but and then but then when you see it done right you see music that was meant to go along and actually pays attention to the visual cues yeah you realize oh wow this can be actually very powerful especially with several of those uh one of the best examples is a lot of those charlie chaplin films where Mm -hmm. he he wrote the score himself so they were you know it's very tailored to the to the movie yeah and so um so i will say yeah seek out uh the original nosferatu and then uh i'd say watch all three 
But what I was, what I'll say is that if you wanted to watch Shadow of the Vampire, you should watch the original Nosferatu because you'll appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so I do want to talk very briefly uh, about one of the reasons why these films are for me so powerful, and I talked about them a little bit already. Um, back when you and I talked about horror movies, uh, we touched on this a little bit when we talked about vampires. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in the last 10, 15 years, vampires have taken on a, a, a non-horror <laughs> quality. Yeah. Um, but there's still, I mean, I, I, there's a film coming out in the next week or two called uh, Dracula, Dracula Untold. Untold. Um, I feel like it's been told. Yeah. Oh, but this is like the story of like him before he was Dracula and like why he felt he had to become. But that's the thing. So it's it's horrific, but they're also making him into something of a hero, or at least they're like they're making him overtly sympathetic. Like, hey, if it were, what would you do? You know, mm-hmm. like his he did it to protect his kingdom. Like uh, as as these armies descend, like he could not protect the kingdom that he. Uh, ruled and so he became a vampire so that he himself could defeat this army and it's like okay that's fine but then he was oh no but now i'm condemned to this thing to this life uh so even so even now the story of dracula and just vampires in general they're not going anywhere it's astounding mm-hmm. uh not unlike zombies where you f- just when you feel like okay we're Aside from Walking Dead, we're basically done with zombies, right? And then sci-fi comes along with a show that apparently is pretty good called Z Nation. And uh, they're, like, they're, just, they're still putting them... Zombies are back. Well, they were never gone. That's the thing. They just... And, it, and just when you think that people are getting tired of them, then there's you a realize dawn. they're not. What was that? Then there's a new dawn. Exactly. A new which dawn leads of to the a, dead. Which leads then to a day of the dead. Yeah. And now we're living in a land of the dead. Uh-oh. And then the other day I was writing in my diary of the dead and, um, you're like, boy, I'm worried about when it starts getting dark and we end up in the night of the living dead. It's cyclical, isn't it, John? Yeah, it is. All. So, um, so yeah. Uh, and I will say that, uh, there has always been, uh, a sexual quality to vampires mm-hmm. that I think has caused, um, and there's the spiritual, there's the rejection of God element of 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 vampires, depending mm-hmm. on which story you're definitely you're the, like the earliest, like in the book and everything. Yeah. That's kind of the, I feel like that's sort of given as where vampires come from. Yeah, and so um, I know that in the in the Christian church, like there's a lot of you know anything horror related uh, tends to be rejected, but vampire stuff especially is. Uh, you know, viewed with suspicion and maybe even rightfully so, especially these days when it's viewed as kind of an awesome thing. Yeah. You know, they sparkle in the, in the sunlight, which oddly (laughs) enough, you know, here's the thing. People make fun of that sparkling in the sunlight thing. And I get why they make fun of that. But twilight does have a very interesting idea. The sparkling thing is from twilight, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, it has a very interesting idea of vampires in which he explains why they are all, in good shape, why they like better shape than they were when they were alive, why they look good and why they even sparkle in the, in the sunlight, which is everything about them is meant to lure people to them there. It's in their It's in their genes. They just become more fit, more attractive, more able so that people look at them and think, I want to be near them. I want to, I am attracted to them. And, it's literally meant to be a trap. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, that's an interesting, now it's, if somebody's interesting sparkles, idea. I will think that, but um, yeah, it's an interesting idea. But like when you go into the morality of that in light of those books, uh, the idea is to bring all of us into that trap. It's not exactly. to, to present that as like, when you say trap, it shouldn't be a good thing. Right. No. And, and that's the thing is I think when the character in twilight presents it, he sees it as a, as a bad thing. Like they don't like being vampires. They don't like to feast on humans and stuff, but it's a thing he's had to learn to live with, you know? Um, but then of course the character, I can't blame him talking about twilight, um, (laughs) especially in a Nosferatu episode. Um, but you know, the character of Bella, like the big thing is that she is remarkably attracted to him and wants to be with him. And he has to fight his vampire instinct with her. And so in a better movie, that would be a very interesting idea. But of course it's, it's done with that teeny 
bopper kind of thing. Right. And with and and the 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 way it's presented is that he he has to fight that urge, but he's going to give in eventually, and that's going to be then that then they're going to be happy. Like that's the happy right. ending is when everyone gives into their urges and just now now he gives into his urge after they get married, and then he turns <laughs> to her, her into an undead monster. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, in, in an age of twilight and true blood and that sort of thing, the idea of the vampire as the, the damned, Mm. uh, has kind of gone away. Um, and even like with this new Dracula movie kind of sort of vindicating his choices, uh, it kind of does that as well. Uh, but if you look at, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula and, and then you look at Nosferatu and Shadow the Vampire and all that, uh, you see, uh, you see the real idea of of what rejection of God. I've always viewed vampires as a really good metaphor for sinners, mm-hmm. which is all the things that we are doing in our everyday life. If we gave ourselves over to them, then we're giving ourselves over to ourselves. And a vampire is literally saying, you need to die so I live. Mm-hmm. It's literally p- choosing myself over you mm-hmm. uh, in every possible way. And I, I'm literally feasting on you so that I can live. Um, and that is that is the end game of sin. Sin is the ultimate, it's ultimately choosing you over, certainly over God, but by extension, everybody else, whether mm-hmm. you know it or not. Um, and so... Uh, so you can talk about like, okay, you talk about Dracula, you talk about, um, I'm trying to think if there's any other notable, like, I'm sure there are other notable vampire movies that aren't, insp- that aren't directly based on Dracula. Uh, interview with the vampire. I interview think. with the vampire. That's uh, one that I really think, yeah. I think plays up that exact thing you were talking about. Cause there's yeah. so much excess and, yeah. and everything in that. And it, <laughs> even though it, it, the ending is a little bit of a, I don't think I like the very ending of that movie, but uh, it it's not it has a very dark kind of yeah. dirty feel to to a lot of the 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 life of being a vampire and you know i never saw i never saw the original fright night i actually heard it was very good mm, um, i did see the lost boys which by the way is overrated we all liked it because we grew up with it but it's actually not very good but um but yeah uh interview with a vampire is a really good example because you have characters that are completely willing to give into it then you have characters that are willing to fight it but in the end they're also vampires they can fight it all they want and to me that that is that's not unlike somebody who says like no i can still i can still be a good person and still not do this which you can but it's one of those things of like it's only a matter of time yeah and of course if you're thinking in eternal terms which i will i will now quote uh c.s lewis from the great divorce once again if you've not read it you absolutely need to it's astounding uh, uh, and it's a, it's a book all about, you know, heaven and hell. And, and, uh, so it says hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there may come a day when you can no when you can no longer, then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. I can't think of a like a better visual of that than yeah. Nosferatu. Yeah. Just this idea of crumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, if you think in terms of hell, which is not necessarily what we're talking about, but sort of... Um, I mean, hell, the, the idea of hell is eternal damnation. Well, that's Count Orlock. I mean, he mm-hmm. he himself is crumbling and yet continues to live. The place with the the castle that he lives in is crumbling yeah. and falling apart. The, he's he's transported to play from place to place, like in crates filled with dirt and rats. Yeah, yeah. And then in the in the uh, Herzog version, those rats uh, get out and they wind up all over the place mm-hmm. um, and cause a, a plague. Yeah. Yeah, it just this idea that he just brings pestilence wherever mm-hmm. he goes, either directly or indirectly, um, and so uh, so that's one of the things that I that I enjoy about the idea of the vampire, and something that that I think Christians can get out of it is they they look at these if they watch the right things. I'll say that you know um, 
you can see and even even the original uh todd browning dracula where the character is very suave but he still lives in this decaying castle mm-hmm. and anybody and then when he has an effect on somebody like renfield renfield goes completely insane yeah and what's more is renfield who is by the way one of my favorite literary characters of all time because he is enslaved to this guy but he's not even allowed human lives he has to eat bugs and rats and that sort of thing and he's he wants human lives but he's not allowed them and it's just like oh what a horrible existence (laughs) um uh but uh but yeah, so I want to read this other thing. Uh, this is a snippet of a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson um, that is partially quoted in Shadow of the Vampire. Uh, the The poem is called uh, Tithonus. I don't know how you would particularly say that. Maybe yeah, it's Hythonus, right. I'm not sure. Uh, so I tend not to be able to read poetry uh, out loud in a nice lyrical way, so just bear <laughs> with me. The woods decay, the woods decay and fall. The vapors weep their burthen to the ground. Man comes and tills the field and lies beneath. And after many a summer dies a swan. Me only cruel immortality consumes. I wither slowly in thine arms. Here at the quiet limit of the world, a white-haired shadow roaming like a dream, the ever-silent spaces of the east, far-folded mists, and gleaming halls of morn. Now, I forgot how much I enjoy poetry. Uh, <laughs> not necessarily reading it aloud, but I do, en- I do enjoy it. And I, I don't think I'm familiar enough with Alfred Lord Tennyson, because I read the whole poem and thought it was pretty amazing. But, um, but yeah, so that, that poem is the story of a guy who is immortal, but still ages. Mm-hmm. And so of course, uh, Max Shrek in, um, shadow of the vampire references it mm-hmm. as, as, uh, himself. Yeah. So, um, and the tragedy of that, uh, and that, because if you get older and you're immortal and you're decaying, then not unlike this other thing that, that, um, Shrek says in talking about Dracula, you just have forever to think back on what could have been and maybe where you could have gone uh, a different path and stuff like that. So, um, and I will reference this last thing in the book of Jude in the Bible. And I think this could very well be the first time I've ever referenced the book of Jude, not because I don't like it, but because it just doesn't come up up in in conversation (laughs) very much. This is Jude one six and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day uh that ju- that stuck out to me because of the phrase gloomy darkness um because i can't think of a again a better description of the world of count orlock than gloomy darkness mm-hmm. uh not merely darkness just gloomy, gloomy dark like just feeling sad and down <laughs> um so what i'll what I'll say is if, you know, if you're, and I, I want to try and wrap up. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking like, oh, okay, so, uh, sinners are, and by the way, we're all sinners. I don't mean to act as though we are not this thing, but like, right. so I'll talk about sin. Let's do that. Sin leads to hell, which leads to, which is to say, uh, sorry, which is, uh, <clears throat> the absence of love is the most abject pain. Uh, which is said in the Herzog Nosferatu. And of course, hell is the absence of God and God is love. So it's the absence of love and it's, and it's uh, the most abject pain. Mm. So what we're talking about, sin separates you from God and you will, and we will in our own way, you know, wind up like Count Orlock, this evil presence that hates himself is deteriorating but is never going to die and is part of his nature yeah it's not something that he can uh because he's at the point now where he's given over to it yeah it's, it's not going to go away yeah and actually i do have a verse here from romans one twenty four. um therefore god gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another now that's specific when it comes to sex but this idea of god giving us over to our own desires and our own nature. Now, of course, when it comes to hell, that's ultimately what we are doing. Mm-hmm. Another ref, another line that I didn't write down, but I, I know from the great divorce is there's only two, there are only two people in the end. Those who look at God and say, thy will be done. 
and those to whom God looks and says, thy will be done. Mm. Uh, because that is what a vampire is. Somebody who wanted his way one way or another, he wanted his way. Mm-hmm. And God says, you don't know what you're asking, but okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so I don't want people to think that, Oh, this is a, a real downer of an episode, though it can be, if you look at it a certain way, it's a downer. If there's no redemption in the world of vampires, they do not, they're not redeemed. They're um, eternally chained in gloomy darkness. So I've heard. Um, but we still, ha- you know, we still have a chance. We non-vampires still have a chance, and that is to <laughs> to not uh, get bit by sinners. Yeah, no, avoid bites. This is what we're. This is the point we want you to get from this right. episode. Nothing spiritual. Just avoid bites if all around. Somebody tries to bite you. Yeah, figure out if they're a sinner look, first. Look, look, you know what? Let's just tally this up: zombies, werewolves, vampires. All of them bite you. And then you turn into those things. Yeah. All right. So stay away from bites. Yeah. No, thank you. All right. And and just for the sake of, you know what? Don't bite anything. That's true. Smoothies. That's a good idea. Smoothies from now on. Smoothies for everyone. Um, All right. Well, thanks everyone. We'll we'll catch you next time. This came across exactly as I wanted it to. Um, But yeah. And so, uh, so our hope is that like, we don't have to be these things. We don't have to be our actions don't have to be uh, dictated by our desires and our instincts. And even though they can be tremendously hard to fight, um, you know, uh, and everybody has maybe one or two things. It's like, those are the ones that are hard to fight. Um, and the good thing is your salvation is not contingent on your ability to fight them. Obviously you want to try and embrace holiness. You want to try and embrace obedience, but your ability to do that is not, what will get you into heaven, what will get you into the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it is his sacrifice. You know, it's the exact opposite of a vampire. Mm -hmm. A vampire looks at you and sees, what can I get out of it? Mm -hmm. Jesus looks at you and says, what can I do to save this person? How can I, you know, and of course blood is a big part in, in vampires. They suck blood. Uh, Jesus sheds blood. So and I think I will probably end with that because it turned out better than I thought. <laughs> so, um, all right. Halloween times, everybody. Watch out. It's here. It's here and it's not going anywhere, at least not for a few weeks. <laughs> um, if you have any uh, comments or questions, you can email me, Tyler at more than one lesson.com or Josh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh long at the Josh long. You can also like us on Facebook, uh, sign up for our newsletter for any, uh, updates. We send it every month. And I think that is about it. So we will see you next week for Coraline. In the meantime, uh, Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And thank you for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye.